Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, as the coronavirus pandemic drags on, there are a few signs of hope, along with cautious reopenings in certain parts of our country and the world. But even so, the widespread tragic disruption of daily life continues to impact us all, whether you fear personally contact, uh, contracting COVID-19, know someone who is ill, worry about a loved one on the front lines, presently are out of work or own a business that is shut down. You most likely feel frustrated, lonely, and isolated in your home, fearful of just how long this pandemic will drag on and how the vibrant the recovery will be. And unfortunately, I can't immediately get you out of the house, but I can offer the next best thing. My guest, grief counselor and personal growth coach, Rachel Kadanis, is here today to uh, send us a virtual hug. Also, she'll share some suggestions on how to reconnect uh, online to overcome our individual feeling of isolation. And some of you may recall that Rachel Kananis was a guest on our program last November 11th. Here to review are her qualifications as a grief counselor and personal growth coach. For the past 20 years, Rachel has spoken passionately to national audiences on all aspects of personal growth, change, and acceptance of challenge, including grief over loss of a loved one. And she speaks from personal experience she was suddenly widowed at age 31 with a two-year-old daughter, and Rachel fought back and overcame her own grief and now counsels others on how to do the same. And uh, she is author of three acclaimed books on uh, loss and recovery, and we'll talk about a couple of them later. And hello, Rachel. Welcome back. And uh, also I wanted to mention uh, why... Uh, her commentary is especially relevant for today. She is just now recovering from COVID-19 along with pneumonia, and she is the first guest in our program who actually has fought back and overcome the virus. And hello, Rachel. Welcome back. Sorry to learn of your recent traumatic illness, and uh, great that you're back, and I trust you're feeling better now. All of the above, but I have to tell you, just listening to your introduction, you made my day, you made my week, because we talk about losing a little bit of connection, and that is just perfect proof. You just hang out with people that you like and they like you, and they just pump you up and we'll pump each other up. So there yeah, you have it. That's for sure. Well, uh, to talk a little bit about the, your COVID-19 uh, experience, uh, are you aware of when, uh, how, and uh, from whom you contacted the virus? Well, of course, we all have opinions, as does the news, of what really is going on with this virus. But I was an early person. Um, And so, in my opinion, after everything that I've learned, I I think it's been here longer than we think it has been. Because I think I could have been exposed in many different places, whether it was on an airplane. I also work. 
I also work in Vail, Colorado, one day a week, part of um, National Ski Patrol, and oh. also it's guest services. And I think that could be where I got it, either that or on the airplane three days before I was there. It's a you know it's a hodgepodge of people that come from all over, um, very international crowd. Yeah. But I'm not sure, and we will never know because if it happened immediately, like you got a rash, then you yeah. would know exactly where you got it. But yeah. it doesn't happen that way. Well, what an early sign that uh, you might that you experienced that you might be ill with COVID-19. Did it uh, happen suddenly, or did they sneak up on you? How did that happen? So everybody has a different story because many of us got sick from that week that we were up in the mountains and and the people that I was also traveling with on visiting. So in my opinion, some people have, it goes sinus and it goes headache. Other people have had gastro. I only could share with you what mine was. And I ran 10 miles, I'm a runner, and I ran 10 miles on a Saturday. Saturday night, Sunday morning, I thought this was early March. So this was before a lot of us knew it. I know it's only two months ago, but it seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, that that people, right, but people were, you know, writing it off that you had to be directly exposed to it. You had to be with someone from China or someone from here <laughs> and there. At that time, that's where I was. And I said to my husband that evening, I feel like I have, uh, like, a, just a dripping in my throat. I felt like it was seasonal allergies which I don't really have, so I was surprised at that. But I had gone for a run, so I thought, okay. Well, within 24 hours, I felt um, from that dripping in my throat as if I just really stiff, really flu-like, what everybody's saying on that. That didn't even last that long. That was 24 hours, and I I just was kind of in bed not feeling well. But what really got me was that I woke up, so now 48 hours into it, I woke up where I could not catch my breath, and I ended up in the ER. And that's the part that I would share with your listeners, is that if you've got some of these mild cases, I wish we could count them and have the numbers, because here I am hospitalized and the whole works, and I still have never had a COVID-19 test, because they didn't have them, you know, in in all states when – when I was there, my diagnosis says COVID, you know, untested COVID-19 and pneumonia, but my x-rays show that I had that what everybody's talking about now, the cloudy pneumonia. Yeah. I believe, to be honest with you, I believe we all just react to it differently. I've had pneumonia in the past. Mine went to my lungs. But for your listeners, I don't want to scare you with my case because my case is small compared to most people don't even know they had it. Yeah. All I suggest is there's not a lot that you can do if you do have it other than trying not to be with other people. But the one thing that I want to just share with the guests is once you have trouble breathing, do something about it because that happens so fast. And that's what I think we've been faulted at as patients, as citizens, is that we think we're not going to be, we wait too long when we're having trouble breathing. That's all I would say. And here I am, look, he's talking a million miles a minute, so I'm back. Did, did you uh, end up in isolation, or they didn't know that much about you having COVID-19, so probably not, or were you? Okay, so that, that's a great question. So I, I actually was to the hospital twice, only 48 hours apart from the two visits. Oh. And the first one, while they triaged me outside because they were hearing rumors of it, that when I went in, I mean, they knew what was going on. It wasn't just rumors, but Denver, where I live, wasn't affected by it truly yet. There was one or two cases. Yeah. Um, but the second time I went in, 
they wouldn't even let my husband come in. Like that was when it's like, and that was March 18th. March 18th. So yeah. while it seems like only six weeks ago, it was a lifetime ago with us doing so that. How long and were you in isolation? I was in my house. I stayed in my, because again, this was before the whole community went isolated. The way we did it, I came home because at the hospital that I was at, it, there was still not an, they didn't separate COVID-19 from the rest of the patients, so they oh, had to do their thing over there. Yeah. But when I came home and the way we did it was that I took my bedroom, the master bedroom and yeah. the master bath, and no one ever went upstairs. Like nobody yeah, came near me. And food was left outside, you know, out the door, and I never used another drop of the house because I didn't want anybody else to worry about, oh, I need to wipe that kitchen sink. Because remember, at the the early onset of this, you couldn't even get a cleaning product. No. So I just isolated. But you know what? I have to tell you something, boy. I didn't feel great. So I didn't realize how isolated I felt. But then now that I – I think it's actually harder to be isolated when you feel good. Yeah, no, because if you're that sick, you don't want to be around anybody, really. Correct, correct, correct. So I have to tell you, it was, um, you know, it's an eye-opener, but the hardest part of this is the news and community and being scared and everybody having different opinions. It's It's just a hard time we're living in right now. Yeah, maybe you were fortunate to have it early in the game when they didn't know so much about it and it wasn't constantly on the news and the... If you were watching TV and you were suffering from that, I don't think you'd be comforted. <laughs> right, right, right. And now it's like, you know, I think just, and the weather's better. Like, I don't know where everybody's, that your listeners are from, but I'm in Colorado and the weather's better. So whether you sit on your front porch, your back porch, or just stroll down the street, it's much different than when it's yeah. cold and nasty. And just keep, and the days are longer so you don't feel cooped up. That's for sure. Well, as of... Uh, uh, the most, perhaps the most important question is, how in the world were you able to muster up the strength to fight and recover from the disease? What what inspired you to, to fight it and get better? Well, I, that's a good question. I've never been asked that question. I don't think it was anything that I ever thought about. I just think that... Um, you know, I'm very good patient. When I'm as an athlete, I've always had coaches, and I'm always very, I'm very good when a doctor tells you to do something or or any of that. I just think I paid attention. And what was interesting is my second trip to the hospital, looking at my X-rays because it's a very bizarre pneumonia. Yeah. My second doctor told me I had to move around. And again, I'm a very good rule follower when it comes to huh. medical people telling me what to do. And he kept saying is you need to move, you need to eat, you need to sleep, you need to move, you need to eat, you need to sleep. And as much as that one flight of stairs was bothering me, you know, once I, you know, I sat up, they said stop laying down. And what's interesting, now they're coming forward and saying, you know, turn over, roll over. <laughs> so, you know, my inspiration is always my same inspiration. There's a, I embrace life's challenges. That's my, my business card on my website. You have to embrace. You can't control what's been given to you, but you can control the way you react to it. That's for sure. Of course, I'd say anyone that's able to run ten miles is in mighty good shape and uh, well fit to battle COVID nineteen. Uh, unlike these well, poor folks in the yeah. nursing homes that uh, <laughs> you know have trouble walking as it is. But uh, but anyway, we're but so the- so glad you're better and. Uh, but well, thankfully, thank most you. of our listeners will not suffer like you did from coronavirus, but uh, so many of us 
uh, will experience feelings of isolation, fear for our own health, anxiety over the future. If we may, let's talk briefly about your message of connection, hope, and togetherness. Please describe some of the support you're offering today to individuals and groups in the uh, need of inspiration. I, I love that letter you sent out on the virtual hug. So I sent that out. I really went through a, just a, after I started feeling better, and I was actually with, you know, my face covered, of course, walking up and down the street and doing things. Yeah. I went back to the days that I was a widow, and this was before there was an Internet. And I kept saying to people around me that we're so fortunate that even though many of us are sick or you start, you kicked it off by saying we're all affected somehow, whether it's a job, whether it's a family member, whether it's somebody on the front line, we are all being affected by this similarly yet different. But when I was young and I was widowed, I felt like I was isolated because there was no Internet. And so I wasn't connected to people. I couldn't call people or talk to people or Zoom or have these video conferences. So oh, I just Right, but I just decided that I was going to write this letter about how important some, just because some of us are doing well or our bubble might be doing well, there's other people that are in our circles that are not doing so well. So I just wrote a little bit about isolation and reach out if you feel isolated because there's so many people out there that would love to visit with you, would love to chat because, remember, they're just as isolated as you are. And I have gotten a great response from that letter that I wrote about, you know, my virtual hug is just try to avoid the isolation because you we, know, when you concern, we don't know when to, you, uh, you start concerning yourself with how someone else is doing and you're trying to help them, uh, that feeling of isolation kind of goes away. <laughs> It does, exactly. And I do think that when you're more involved, I think our problem is the more time we have, we we, we play the same tapes over and over in our head. Yeah. And we have a tendency of sometimes going on the negative side. So not it's just our nature. It's not a personality flaw or any. It's not mental illness. It's nothing like that. You just get a little overwhelmed, and you might just get a little negative. So that's why I wrote that, is to help people that are feel isolated Here's a virtual hug. Don't be isolated. Don't yeah. feel that way. Or let me help you not feel that way. Well, if we uh, may, I'd like to close the program to talk a little bit about some of the resources you offer our listeners that may be helpful in this time of pandemic, but also any time any person that may be faced with a loss or a major life challenge. And you've written three highly acclaimed books to help folks with grieving uh, the loss of a loved one. In our November 11th program, we discussed your latest, Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time. And remember, you can listen to past programs uh, by going to our website. So today I'd like briefly to touch on the other two. In Living with Loss One Day at a Time, you offer 365 daily lessons and thought-provoking ideas for families who have lost a loved one or suffer from any other form of loss. And what is uh, your purpose in writing this book, and how is it intended to be read? Do we read the whole thing or just one uh, uh, thought of that per day? So I wrote it with the intention of no January, no December, like it didn't have to be calendar year. I also wrote it with the intention that it didn't matter whether you were three months out from your loss, new to your loss, a year out, ten years out from your loss. It was more of just a daily inspirational thought around loss and comparing different aspects of loss and to help my readers 
just kind of look at what their situation was a little differently. That was the goal of writing. So some people read it cover to cover. Yeah. Some people read one a day. It's, I, I get emails and phone calls all the time of how different people are using it. But to answer your real question, I wrote it because I ran support groups for 10 years, and I listened to people of what kept them up at night and what was their biggest hardships. And some of them were, you know, human-related you know, relationships with each other. Some of them were memorials and just wanting to be connected to their loved ones. Some of them were fear. So I kind of throughout just talk about every day is something different. Some days I'm really nice to the readers, and I let them sit on the couch and eat bonbons and watch bad TV. <laughs> and other days I just suggest to have one meal outside the house because if you get up, you get to oh, – not right now. You guys stay home. So oh. when the time reopens is that you get up, you get dressed, you go out, you have a meal with someone – and as you, you work your way back home, you think, that's not so bad. Maybe I'll do it again tomorrow. So almost an organic way of getting through law. I like the way you say each day provides a discussion item for all ages and can create a meaningful dinnertime conversation. That would be a great family activity to, to take that day's lesson and talk about it. Which is what you could do right now because we're all home. Yeah. So I never thought of that. Maybe I need to do a little promotion around that. Is that like, you know, forget trying to talk about what you Zoomed and what you learned on your computer today. Maybe you could read a page of the book. I like that. Thanks, Roy. <laughs> well, how about your 2015 book, Grief in the Workplace? Who is this book intended for? So that was written. It's actually the third version of that because I've been doing that for a long time. So um, my background is corporate America, telecommunication and information technology. So not only am I a runner, I'm also a computer geek. Oh. But I, um, when my husband died, he, we worked for the same company. After that all happened, I was asked by many different um, just outfits of like, this was way before there was an Internet, and there were just people wanted support. So I took a different angle on grief in the workplace. I took it on what to do with coworkers, managers, and HR, and not necessarily the griever, because there's a lot out there for the griever. Yeah. So that's been my corporate approach to loss. And then my third one, which you mentioned, is finding peace one piece at a time, what to do with yours and your loved one's possessions as you downsize, right size, or someone passes. Oh, that's good. Well, where's the best place to go to preview and purchase your books? Well, obviously, any online store right now, because all other stores are closed, but when they <laughs> reopen, they're, they're there as well. But right now, you can either do it through my website, uh, rachelkadonis.com, or you can do anything on Amazon. I notice you also have a newsletter. They can sign up for that on your uh, website. Correct, and I send that out uh, maybe every other month. Um, in fact, that's how you and I reconnected, and that's where for, our, for your listeners that would be where he, you read the letter that I wrote about yeah. um, just about where, you know, we need to connect. We need a virtual hug and we need to connect. Yeah. Well, finally, I, I noticed you also offer a gift box to send to someone dear who has just suffered a loss. What is contained in this box? Well, I have to tell you, true confessions, it's really not mine, but I do have a link to it, um, oh. and I can help you get to it. But she uses my products. She's a oh. phenomenal person out of uh, her, her group is called Good Grief, and she has sympathy and wellness boxes, and she had reached out to me to include my book. And so I helped, you know, cross-promote her because yeah. I'm just so proud of her for what she's doing because she created, instead of a sad package, which are often perceived as heavy, 
she created this extremely light and um, well, I'll call I'll call it just it just feeling like you're not alone package. And she did a great job. Yeah, I know they can buy that on uh, your website, rachelcadenas.com. I know I found it there, but uh, right. I can, and of course, you email me, and I can help with anything as well. Yeah. Well, by now, most of you have adopted a new way of listening with social distancing under the coronavirus pandemic. Having said that, isolation and uh, facing lack of communication can sure get stale, can it? And I trust all of you accept today's virtual hug from my guest, Rachel Cadanis. And for more, I suggest you connect with Rachel directly through her newsletter, her books, her events, and perhaps uh, by contacting her directly through her website, rachelcadanis.com. And you know you you and I have two choices, sit around isolated, feeling self-pity and complaining and bemoaning opportunities lost because of COVID-19, or we can set out virtually uh, taking control of our emotions, seeking to connect with others, and using this downtime to experiment with new ideas and relationships and to grow as a result. And it should be obvious to you which option to choose, and Rachel Cadanis can help. And thanks so much, Rachel, for today's virtual hug, and best of success in all that you do. And thank you for having me, and hugs to your virtual hugs to your listeners. And listeners, bye for now. Let's see if we can all give at least three virtual hugs this week to others. Well, on this next segment, we're going to focus on those of you at or nearing retirement. But those of you still in your 40s or early 50s should listen in because it's never too early to begin thinking about how you'd really like to spend your golden years. Also, our elders are... Uh, strong, marvelous, and uh, they have wonderful ideas, and they're not given credit for all that they're capable of, and it's time we spend a lot more time listening to what they have to say rather than uh, considering old people who are past their prime. And here's a startling fact. A lot of so-called senior citizens are refusing to move off center stage. Uh, Here's a few examples. Dr. Anthony Fauci of the President's Coronavirus Task Force, I'm certain you've seen him on TV, is 79. I was really shocked by that because he looks a lot younger. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi goes him one year better. She's 80, and despite recent health challenges, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg at 87 is still going strong. And, oh, by the way, after retiring as Vice President, Following 40-plus years in government service, Joe Biden is back as presumptive nominee for president at age 77, and he's attempting to replace our current president, Donald Trump, who himself is almost 74. And here's a question for all of us. Why do certain folks in their late 60s, 70s, and 80s remain vibrant and committed and accomplish big things despite their advanced biological age. Perhaps more importantly, as we age, how might you and I duplicate their success? And my next guest, retired healthcare consultant B.J. Kittredge, has co-authored with Thelma Reese a brand-new book on the subject of senior activism. The book's title is How Seniors Are Saving the World, Retirement Activism to the Rescue. 
and this book is packed with inspiring true stories of seniors, and not uh, only famous seniors, but people who have taken up their favorite causes with vigor and purpose, not because they have to, but because they want to, and I trust their stories will inspire you to a similar dedication and activism once you retire. And here are B.J. Kittredge's qualifications. She's a retired consultant to the healthcare industry who prior to that was a public school teacher at all three levels. That's pretty amazing, elementary, middle, and high school. And from academics, she moved into operations of a major Philadelphia accounting firm and then on to a small publishing company. She subsequently became the first director of training and development in the member services division of U.S. Healthcare, and in this role, she authored and delivered original management training, uh, speakeasy communication skills programs, IT operations manuals, and a new system of performance evaluation. And hello, B.J. Kittredge. We're very honored to have you here with us today. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I'd like to begin with your thoughts on the changing societal consensus about aging out of one's primary job. Why, in your opinion, should retirement be redefined as unretirement? Well, that is one of, of our, our concepts because, as I remember, my great-grandmother lived until I was 19, and she lived to a ripe old age, but she always sat in a chair. Um, and in that, that naive time of my life, I couldn't figure out what that was all about because my mother, as a role model, had always worked. And uh, it's the kind of, of world where we can make choices now. Uh, we're living so much longer. We're having our health, in, in many cases, so, so well uh, designed with all of the medical advances and there's still that that uh, enormous energy and creativity and zest for life uh, that started us all out in the beginning of our adult careers. Yeah. So uh, whether you're you're a stay-at-home person before, or someone who has gone from uh, a paying career to unretirement, uh, it's a time to explore. And expand and uh, and beat the drums. Yeah, it really opens up our world to a whole wealth of possibilities. Now, whereas formerly we were constrained by a, a job description and certain responsibilities, now the world is ours, really. Yes. <laughs> now, why is that ageism so counterproductive? And more importantly, how can it be diffused in today's world? It seems like ageism keeps rearing its ugly head. Yes, I think that it does, but uh, I encourage all of us not to surrender to it. Um, it is the kind of uh, society where people sort of uh, have a cubby for every every a cubby hole for every sort of category of person. And of course, I think the generalizations are always dangerous. But um, because, for instance, people in my generation, seniors. Uh, are not as tech savvy. Yeah. It's it's the kind of thing that that sometimes people a little younger than we say in their fifties sort of assume you you can't master. Well, 
Not not so, and uh, it, the will to do it is the, the the thing that is the key. And we have a wealth of experience about how things work, what works, what the possibilities are. We've seen all the things that have changed for the better over these years. And uh, I think the way to diffuse it is to, first of all, be active and as visible as you would like to be, but also to interact intergenerationally. Um, I've always loved being in a community as I am now with three generations. And, of course, I grew up, as I said, with four generations in my family. So that was sort of my role model and my expectation. Well, the traditional response to folks growing older, especially those over 80, is to exile them to a memory care facility, a nice new name for nursing home. Why is confining our seniors to nursing homes not only dangerous, it's also society's loss? I think that the research that I have have done shows a lot of data-based reports that say that the most important thing as we get older, although I see it as as, uh, certainly for any age, but you don't want to not have a purpose. You want to have a reason to get up in the morning and, as I say, put on your earrings and get busy. The other thing is that isolation leads to, which is what the result is, uh, leads to all kinds of negative situations. It may be uh, a deep depression. It may be a withdrawal. Uh, There are lots of of things that people do to sort of be self-protective when they don't feel like they they belong. Yeah, that's true. And I heard years ago, I heard a couple uh, ladies in my mother's retirement home Say we're really not worth much of anything to anybody anymore. Oh, I thought that was so tragic. It is. Somebody has that kind of an attitude. Well, unfortunately, this brings us to the current coronavirus uh, crisis. Uh, Many so-called health experts continually remind us that seniors, even those in excellent health, are the most vulnerable to COVID-19, become very ill and die. How do you counter the argument that everyone, say, over age 70, should be quarantined while the rest of us get back to work, play, and socializing? I can't, I can't understand how that would work unless you have uh, a real medical situation that yeah. would, you know, the advice would be to, to be removed from it. But there, the six-foot social distance, the masks, the uh, gloves... We don't have to turn off our brains, no, and we don't have to, to silence the passions. And we and, don't have um, to be uh, exiled to a <laughs> nursing facility. Oh, no, no. Well, you inform us that volunteerism is being transformed by folks in their 60s through 90s. How is it being transformed, and is it this good or bad? I think it's very positive. We were fortunate enough to find 24 people who each had their own niche, their own cause, their own principle, their own uh, valuable insight. And each one of them was determined to make a difference because when you live long enough and you have observational skills and 
rational minds, you realize that in your own world even, you can make a big difference. And it doesn't necessarily mean leadership. I think that sometimes younger people are afraid that we who have experience will want to take over, whereas being an advisor, uh, contributing similar uh, experiences, is uh, it's like putting another bunch of vegetables in the soup. It makes the flavor so much stronger. In the traditional societies, everyone totally respected the elderly and uh, wanted their advice, uh, whether they were actively leading the community or not. But nowadays, they seem to think anyone over a certain age, maybe over 35, doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I think that we have the hope that we have, uh, as I look at it, is not the generation that we gave birth to, although anyone can uh, learn from this experience, but our grandchildren's uh, generation. Yeah. It seems to me that from my own experiences that, that people – of that age are anxious to hear the stories. And, yeah, that's true. You know, did you ever have to, to deal with this and what did you do? I'm going away to college and, and uh, I'm, I'm going to have to make all new friends and what happened when you got married and you moved away? And, you know, it can be as, as basic as that or it can be real strategic thinking in problem solving. Yeah, that's great. Well, the traditional definition of a senior moment is when you have a temporary lapse of memory, for example, a person's name uh, that you've known for a while or where you placed your keys. But you and Thelma Reese have defined a new senior moment. Please tell us what that new senior moment is. The new senior moment that we define is the one that allows us to pause and reflect and be able to garner our our ideas from all the things that we've experienced. Yeah. yeah, let's get down to where rubber meets the road. Can you offer suggestions to our listeners uh, who are maybe contemplating retiring uh, from their primary occupation, how to identify a worthy cause for activism, a problem that needs to be solved, and how best to employ their talents and energy to inspire positive change. How, how would you go about looking for something worthwhile to do? Well, first of all, I think, uh, and I've, this is the way that I've, I've lived my life, uh, I would never retire without a plan. Oh, that's a great suggestion. As long as I knew it was coming, I've always been a plan B, plan C person, so uh, it's it's and it's fun to explore what do I do, what do I care about. And the question, what do I care about, is sometimes very personal. It yeah. may be someone in the family who needs help of some kind. It yeah. may be uh, some sort of a political challenge that you feel you you need to contribute to. Um, you you uh, We have uh, someone in the book who is from... Uh, California and is in his 90s, flies his own plane, (laughs) a doctor who who is a psychiatrist who does a great deal of work for uh, underserved children. Oh, that's wonderful. And I think that the, the, the reason that we did the structure of our book, which, as you probably know, is each 
person is a chapter. Yeah. And and sprinkled between are some essays on things that are, are relevant to our age group. Um, but at the end of every chapter, there is a section called How to Connect. Yeah, and it is, it's a list of resources. If there's something in the book that interests you or that you've always been interested in, yeah. maybe, you can look at those. And and you can go online and do it from home. Um, look at those resources and see if there isn't a way that you can get some information from that sort of thing. But I think the key is it some, has to be something you believe in, and it has to be something you can get really enthused about. Yeah, and also something that you feel like you could contribute something to. Although oh, yes. You might need to learn a bunch of uh, yes. facts, and obviously you research it. But if you say, hey, this is something that I feel like I can really contribute to, that would uh, really make a difference. Yes. Well, who's the primary target audience? Is your book, uh, How Seniors Are Saving the World, written strictly for folks nearing at or near retirement? Or no, some listeners no. in their 40s and 50s or whatever? All well, we envisioned a multi-generational response. We thought that... Um, it, it could be a birthday gift to a senior in your family, for instance. Yeah. But when the book is read, there can be discussions. You know, did you know this? Did you ever hear of this? Yeah. What I would love to see, and we have discussed this, Thelma uh, and I, is that skipped generation, the grandchildren and, and grandparent generations, where they first of all the the grandchildren will see the value of what that our generation of seniors can do can accomplish can contribute and they may be willing to get involved too even in a, a limited way but at any rate they may be able to wake up their parents too yes we, yes <laughs> cuz we think that there is nothing like the challenge of an example and seniors are and have been historically role models. And it's a lot easier to see visually or to know intellectually what someone is doing and how they're doing it. And uh, and we think at this moment in time with the pandemic, we hope that people like we have done will have a lot of, of uh, contemplative moments when they can line up their priorities and, and uh, it will give them some clearer goals for things that matter to them. Yeah, this is a great time to practice for retirement or unretirement, as you call yes. it. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, where's the best place for listeners to go to uh, preview and purchase your book? Uh, it's available on Amazon and it's available on Words, no, let's see, Words Book. It's it's not a, a website. I've, uh, but it words is the name of it. Where's a? Uh, do you have a website where people can learn more about uh, your operation? Where should they go to do yes. that? Yes. First, we have a blog, which uh, Thelma and her previous partner, who unfortunately died, and and that's where I came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they started a blog called Elder Chicks. C-H-I-C-K-S. I guess I can't read that. <laughs> you certainly can. You certainly can. 
it was after the book that that they wrote about the new senior woman. So that's where oh. the feminine came in. Didn't they um, also write, write a book, the new senior man? Yep, they sure did. That's good. Yeah, there's well. there. It's and that was in reaction to people saying, well, how about the new senior man? Yeah. Um, but there's also a website, senioractivism.com. Oh, I see. Okay, well, people can check that out then. In conclusion, presuming you take care of your health and our well-being and have set aside adequate finances to cover up to 20 or 30 years' golden years, your major challenge is to enjoy the heck out of them while at the same time you're benefiting others. And uh, under, uh, once your former work days are over, to be joyful and fulfilled, you will need to serve others or find a cause. It really isn't good enough just to concentrate on taking care of yourself and right. relaxing right. all the time, playing yeah. golf. That gets old, I think. Yeah. As the co-writers put it at the beginning of their book, while you are saving the world or saving someone else, you're saving yourself or discovering yourself. I love that statement. And there's plenty of need out there, as we all know, especially during the coronavirus pandemic. We are living through tumultuous times. And uh, once you turn in your key to your office or shop, instead of wondering, what will I do with all of my free time, Spend some time thinking about and looking into certain problems or causes and uh, what you can do to help solve or contribute uh, to alleviate those causes. And ultimately, like the activists described in the Reese Kittredge book, you may find that there are, in fact, too many things to do and not enough time to accomplish (laughs) all of them, but you'll be enjoying every moment while you're alive. And as my guest B.J. Kittredge advises, it feels like putting bricks in the wall of something solid that you're helping build from the foundation up. And when all is said and done on your final day on Earth, wouldn't it be great to have left a legacy? And I highly recommend you preview Miss Reese and Miss Kittredge's brand-new book, How Seniors Are Saving the World, and I guarantee you'll be inspired to do so. And thank you so much, B.J., for inspiring words and best of success in getting the message out. And to all of you out there, a fond farewell. Please keep in mind always your value as a human being and your ability to contribute to uh, the general good does not diminish in the least the day you quit your right profession. Yes. <laughs> thank I, you. It's been a pleasure, Roy. Bye-bye for now, and, and keep up the good work. Thank you. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com.